It is the Kendall and Casey Show, 93 WIBC. I'm Rob Tony Kennett in for Casey today. That's right. Kev is here. And we go. Sorry, I just got really distracted there. I mean, well, I, I just got to turn the TV off. I just can't do it. I just got, I, I'm just going to. I never watch these two because whenever I'm guest hosting over there, it's never anything interesting on. Someone has like PBS kids on one screen and then C-SPAN on the other. And I want to just like jump out the window. Look, I freely admit I tried to hide it and flub. I was just watching the golf and I was in the middle of watching a shot from one of the guys I bet on when the bumper music began. Well, while you're obsessed with golf, I'll remind everyone <laughs> to get on YouTube and go to the Kendall and yes. Casey live stream. You should be on the live stream on YouTube because the comment section is my favorite while I'm pretending to listen to you. I'm reading the comments in the live stream and they're arguing about everything from coffee to Castleton <laughs> to gun paper trails to whether their dog has intestinal cancer. It's a horribly depressing place. You should be a part of it. Search 93WIBC or Kendall and Casey on YouTube. Well, look, I really got a raw deal on this because when Casey took this job and it was the same way with Mock before that, look, I don't take vacation days. I don't, you know, I, obviously I did for the birth of my child but other than that right like the two times i've been off the past two years was when i got married and the birth of my child but for the most part in the six years i've been here i don't take vacation days i don't leave for long periods of time i work 24 hours a day seven days a week however there are four weeks during the year in which i am given a free pass totally half asset on thursday and friday at this job and it is the four majors the masters the pga the british open the u.s open see for me that's college basketball march madness comes around and i am just as worthless as a sack of rocks and casey knew this and she chose to take her vacation the the week of the British Open and that was oh, really selfish on her are, part. Are you saying that I'm not enough to carry the show? I'm just saying Wow. That, well, no, no, no. What I'm saying is Casey does the intros and so she could kind of tee it up for me and then I have a quick pithy thought and then we get to the audio and then boom we're well, going to go. I'll, I'll do the next intro just for you <laughs> so that you can watch your golf. So we're going to be talking a little bit about development and Pike, because when it comes to Pike and making bad developmental decisions, we like to showcase those kind of features here on the show. If Rob can tear his eyes away from the television screen for three and a half Look, seconds. I, I, there was a time in my life where I would have just tried to hide that from people. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to own it. I got screwed. My partner did not hold up her end of the bargain. And so I'm just going to fess up. And now I'm going to be laser focused because we got to talk about what a complete crap show yesterday was in the nation's capital with these IRS whistleblowers. I mean, unbelievable detail by which they laid out what a schemer and a scammer Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, the Biden family as a collective is. And I'll tell you what it is. If you if you are a remotely honest person, if you are remotely interested in the truth, you walk away from yesterday realizing the depth at which that family is completely corrupt. It's even more than I thought. Tony, and, and that's hard to believe because I already thought they were just totally awful. Well, this is the fun part here. So that it's getting worse by the day and there's no sign that it's going to be slowing down. So first it was, you know, just kind of the cocaine problem. Then it was the cocaine and the fact that he hadn't paid $200,000 in taxes in 2017 and 2018. Then it was the fact that he seemed to be uh, bribing and threatening foreign officials in China and the Ukraine. And then it was about three or $4 million. Then it was seven to $8 million in assets retrieved from China and uh, Ukrainian organizations. Now, it's up to $17 million, and there also might be child prostitution and sex trafficking rings involved. What is it next week? Like, is he like 
I, I, what else can he do that Biden clearly knew about because Hunter is explicitly stating in text messages, I got my daddy in the room. If you don't give me another million dollars, I'm going to get my daddy. Like this is I, I, like it's a it's like it's either Smokey and the Bandit or it's uh, the Dukes of Hazard, And like you're going to get Boss Hog in. And so I'll get my daddy. I tell you what. Uh, OK, so one of the guys names. So there were two primary guys who testified yesterday and one of the guys names was gary shapley irs agent talking about hunter biden's taxes the financial information that they had etc and here's a little back and forth with jim jordan in which they make the case that the department of justice totally pressured the u.s attorney weiss out of bringing more charges more difficult charges stronger charges against hunter biden they've changed their story you guys haven't What do you think happened? What do you think? Mr. Weiss was consistent with the investigators up until this October 7th meeting, and then he changed. What do you think happened, Mr. Shapley? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what uh, happened internal at Department of Justice. But uh, what I can say is that um, is that the story has been changing uh, from Department of Justice and U.S. Attorney Weiss. And uh, I think the only person that's really had any documents that have been corroborated are my own. Exactly. I think what happened. I think it's obvious. Anyone with common sense can see what happened because he said it in Mr. Graham's letter. He said, I had discussions with Maine Justice. I had discussions with the folks, the big, the deputy attorney general, the attorney, whoever it was, I don't know, but he had discussions with the people at Maine Justice and suddenly things change. So uh, just real quick, you look like you're about to explode. I hate how Republicans run committees. I hate it. It's really it's really weird to see a person who, you know, is markedly smarter than you. And you I've told people this before. I think you IQ wise may be the smartest person I know. And so as the smartest person I know, I it's very weird to see you like visibly angry. First of all, stop it. Stop it. You're, you're setting me up for failure, and I hate you for it. That was my goal. No, number two, um, I, I <laughs> Boy, really Kenna hate how Republic- Republic- the smartest. Re- Republicans do this thing where, like, we get into a committee meeting, and or like we get into a hearing, yeah. and they'll put the person in, and they have, like, just a few minutes to ask them questions that could shape an investigation, yes. that could be incredibly damning. And they'll go, hey, what the heck happened? And the guy's like, that, that's not a question that I can answer. Well, what'd you think of it? I, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. I can, I can get, answer yes and no questions. I can confirm or deny data. I can tell you what our department was investigating. I can tell you what my report saw. Do not ask me qualitative questions. Qualitative means like adjectives. Like, what do you think? How did you feel? Quit asking me Democrat-related questions. I'm not going to answer those. Ask me specific questions Put it up on a softball tee for me. I'll swing the bat. Then you can go. And then the lecture at the end, because here's what I think happened. No one cares what you think happened, Senator or Representative. Just go over the facts. Get him to say, yes, this was damning. Here's the evidence. And then go. Okay, so I have a question for you, because you may know I, I fear technology. And as such, while I do do social media, I do the Twitter, I do the Facebook, occasionally do the Instagram. And that's really about it for me. Do you know what a WhatsApp is? I do know WhatsApp what is, is a, what is a WhatsApp. Kev is nodding. Have you have you done something with the WhatsApp? Kev? Oh yeah, that's a, they use that a lot in Europe. Yeah. Okay, and Kev studied in Germany, so WhatsApp is a communication app like basically like iMessage or Messenger for oh. Facebook or things like that. Uh-huh. And uh, it's very popular in Brazil. There's a big Brazilian reporter that reached out and was like, hey, do you have a WhatsApp? And then no, because WhatsApp is also what a lot of people get scammed by. Um, but it is just a large communications app that lets you with an internet connection talk to anybody in the, the world with a WhatsApp account. Okay. And it's free. So this IRS whistleblower, Gary Shapley, said 
investigators, him, the other people looking into Hunter Biden, were blocked from looking into WhatsApp messages between Hunter and China where Joe was mentioned. Now, with respect to the WhatsApp messages, it was something we clearly needed to follow up on, and that, and, and that was really one of the major deviations from, in this case, is that, is that investigators asked, and Special Agent Ziegler asked to follow, uh, uh, to take some investigative steps to review that, and it just simply wasn't supported by the prosecutors. So uh, for d- further delving into what that means, uh, I just simply can't do. I mean, it is clear when you get through with this testimony yesterday, number one, what corrupt, awful people the Bidens are, but two, how the DOJ pressured, uh, interfered, engaged in making sure that Hunter and Joe Biden were protected. And by the way, I don't think you can use the same kind of excuse that a lot of, uh, again, a lot of our Republican committee members use when they ask stupid questions regarding big tech. The DOJ, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, etc. are very, very well versed in the ways that individuals communicate and how they uh, interact with other individuals. There are several kinds of tapping that they can do electronically that can intercept messages between various apps. And so for the DOJ to kind of pick and choose what they wanted to use to investigate Hunter Biden shows complicity. It does. And this is a situation in which the American public really does need to ask not if the DOJ and the FBI should be torn down in a large part and completely reformed, but to what extent we completely scrape these houses clean. Because the amount of corruption that is growingly apparent, and not just in the way that we all know that they're corrupt. I mean, every American knows the DOJ and the FBI is corrupt. In your heart, you do. But the amount of corruption is becoming more known by the day. And as those days progress, I mean, Tony Katz said it really well in, in the last hour of his show. There's, of course, the Americans trust in this is eroded. Complete. You said uh, evaporated. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? You have shown me nothing to believe you. We still don't have the trans manifesto out of Nashville. We still have no idea what motivated the Las Vegas shooter. We still have no idea who the Supreme Court leaker is. We have no idea whose coke it was in the White House, the most surveilled building on planet Earth. We have no idea on a number of situations regarding foreign issues. We have no idea who went to Jeffrey Epstein's island. And you and I both know the FBI, the NSA, the CIA, and every other alphabet agency all the way down to the U.S. Department of Agriculture knows what happened. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to get into this conversation. Actually, we're going to kind of continue a conversation we had last hour, which is when all the farmland disappears, when all the fields, when all the forests, when it all disappears, what do we have left? What are we as a state? What are we as Hoosiers? And there's a it's so funny. We started that discussion last hour because there's a big proposal now out in Pike Township that would dramatically reshape that place. I mean, it's just happening everywhere. It sucks. I hate it. We'll talk about it. Coming up next, Tony Kennedy in for Casey on 93 WIBC. Show 93 WIBC. I'm Rob Kevin's here. Tony Kennett in for Casey. So let's get into this conversation we had last hour because I thought we were talking about how Brad Chambers is probably going to run for governor. He's uh, the Commerce Secretary under Holcomb, and that uh, you know he's going to have the full force of the Holcomb Huffer Incorporated behind him. And his job, one of his major jobs, one of the things he helped oversee was the governor and his little Oompa Loompa goon group strong-arming uh, farmers yes. out of their land using taxpayer money, poor and middle-class people's tax money to facilitate real estate deals, sweetheart real estate deals for mega corporations like Eli Lilly. Right. And we were talking about last hour how 
Holcomb and Hupfer and those guys at the Indiana Republican Party have so dramatically changed over the past seven years what this state looks like, what it means to be a Hoosier, what we are as Hoosiers. And I hate it because they have this weird, sick obsession with plowing over as much farmland as possible and putting as much big business, many of them from foreign lands and governments over here as possible and that's how they judge their success is how many big buildings can we put up almost as, almost as some sort of lasting tribute to ourselves and i also want to point out very explicitly that when those corporations move in when the suburbs begin to blossom they shift blue because when you have people that dwell only in the cities and they never make it out into the areas that feed them that provide all of the things that make their ways of life possible when they you know, when you have an entire existence who's basically in the American suburb, it trends blue because, again, you have the poverty of wealth, people that never experience necessity, that never actually experience the need to participate in the American dream of the Abrahamic idea of going, doing, seizing and claiming. And so this is uh, just the most silly long term strategy. This is why I believe that it would be in the best interest of Indiana to pass a law that states that if you are not a resident of the state of Indiana, you cannot own land here. You can't. And I would even go so far as to say that it would almost make as much sense for the same thing to be at certain county levels, which, by the way, certain counties and other states have begun doing this. If you're not a member of this county, you cannot own land here. And they're like, but what about franchise restaurants? How will they commit? This isn't about franchise restaurants. You can make an exemption for restaurants if you're that desperate. If you are not a resident of this county, you shouldn't own land here. I don't want to see the farmland of of our homes carted off to someone who isn't going to care for it, who's going to treat the areas around it like garbage. Have you seen what happens when these warehouses move in? The roads are covered in filth. It's ruined. They develop potholes faster because you have semis driving on it day in and day out, not only during planting and harvest. It's a mess. No one cares for our land, which is why when we have these discussions, I'm much more like Teddy Roosevelt and less like Calvin Coolidge. Yeah, and it's fascinating. So IndyStar has a big article out about this proposed $500 million development in Pike Township that would tear down all sorts of, of wood land. And again, I guess maybe because I'm nearing my 40s and now I'm a dad and I'm becoming maybe I am just becoming old man yells at clouds. But I look around and I think the thing of the things growing up that sustained me about the community in which I lived. And it's not just that the farmland has disappeared. And this has happened in look, I live in Brownsburg, but it has happened in in cities and towns all across the state. The core of the town no longer resembles what made the core of the town great. It's not just that the farmland has gone, which was, you know, Brownsburg was surrounded by farmland. I grew up, the house I lived in was in a dead-end street, and it was a, a giant field next to it. I understand progress yeah, and I'm, By the way, I'm not saying that farmland should never be developed at all. I am going to be developing a small piece of land for a home on a farm in eastern central Indiana, but not in the way that these organizations and corporations are coming in and doing this weird corporate back-sale nonsense and are tearing up the land as and, they do so. And by the way, when we talk about, we keep hearing, oh, all the tax money they'll bring in in this. Look at how we blow the tax money. Like, how is it possible? I mean, Capital Chronicle had that article about how 
the lawmakers are so sleazy and such scumbags that they took the $6 billion surplus and they deliberately spent it down on one-time ex- expenditures and changed the state law that they spent it down to a number where they didn't have to give us our money back. If we're not seeing any benefit, more government to me, bigger government, more inefficient government is not a benefit. I'm not getting anything out of these mega corporations being here because the money's not coming back to me. It's going for more of this bull crap where we just keep paving over, I realize I'm stealing a phrase here, but we're paving over paradise and building a party. I was getting ready to say that, you know, mm, bop, 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 you know, comes right in <laughs> afterward. And and no, I'm, I'm not making the lib environmental take here. I am saying that we have a responsibility to preserve the environment that we are in. We are called to be stewards. And and regardless of whether you take that as a spiritual take or regardless of whether you take that as just being an American citizen, stewardship is an important thing. And it goes back to what you were discussing about, like, the core of the town is no longer the core of the town. Right now, the core of a lot of small towns only exists as a point on a map. There is no localized community anymore. Everyone is completely networked into this large national and often global approach to living that it, that has very serious negative psychological effects. It destroys how people engage, how they interact. It creates these weird psychological echo chambers, and it is not healthy. And yet this is something that, by the way, these aren't even foisted upon us oftentimes. Yeah. These are some things that we we willingly go into yeah. because we value comfort and, and we value the, this this panemet circensis, rather than actually focusing what? on what word did you just use there? It's a Latin term, panemet circensis. It so, means if oh. you give the the people bread or uh-huh. food and entertainment, oh. then they'll be docile and they'll never bother you. Why was, didn't you just say that? That would have probably been easier. Because it's my favorite Latin. I don't speak Latin. Just I just I like that phrase. It's panemet circensis. It's a political term. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, now I'm much smarter. You know who else is really smart? There's a guy named Dan Stock. Oh, and what a guy! When we come back, Dan is going to join us because he has a, pheno- a phenomenal set of ideas to make government better, more transparent, more accountable. Republicans clearly do not want to be held accountable in the General Assembly. He's got some ideas to do it. We'll talk about it coming up next. So the Republicans in Indiana clearly don't want any part of accountability, so we got to take matters into our own hands, and the next guy with us has some ideas. It's Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob Kevs here. Tony Kennett in for Casey today. Very pleased to be joined in studio by Dr. Dan Stock. He is the uh, head head honcho over at Citizens Coalition for Legislative Accountability. Dan, how are you, my friend? Good. Thanks for having me today, guys. All right, so tell us very quickly about, because we want to get into your ideas, about the group Citizens Coalition for Legislative Accountability and what you guys are trying to do. So we're a group of groups, actually. Oh, great. Yeah, who have uh, strengthened numbers. That's right. Gotten together uh, to promote an idea of changing the rules in the chambers of the House and the Senate at the state level, hopefully at the federal level eventually. But right now we're Indiana only with the idea of making it so that legislators can't hide from debate and voting. I love this because we see this all the time. And Tony and I talk about this quite a bit where you have guys who will who, uh, these leaders in the House, the Senate, where there's a, something that the people might be for that would be good for society, that would be good for the taxpayers, but hey, some special interest certainly doesn't want it, and they ensure that that bill never sees the light of day. Well, in fact, I think we need to understand how frightened the system we've set up for our legislatures makes them. After all, unfortunately, until we get laws that actually make it so campaign cash is not free speech and people can't just give it to anybody they want in huge amounts, these guys are having to choose between the lobbyists who help them get elected and the people who they're supposed to be serving. So right now, we actually have to make sure that they can't escape the consequences 
of what will happen when they choose the lobbyists and his campaign cash over the constituency. And right now, the rules of the chamber is what's allowing them to do that. These chamber rules were designed for a time back in the 1600s when escaping a debate was considered the mark of a scoundrel. And you, you, could, you, know, you couldn't get to a legislature if you were like that. Oh. But now in this very frightening electoral system we have right now, uh, the best thing to do when you're proposed with an idea that the lobbyists will won't like and your constituents will is to not expose to your constituents how you chose. And that is to make sure that bill never gets a hearing. No amendment that would put that into force gets onto the floor for a debate and no vote gets taken. And this is so important because people really need to realize that, you know, we talk about issues, big things that are coming in from the legislature, et cetera. But it's almost like a fait accompli. When it gets there, the big bosses are the ones who are going to decide. Rod and Todd, the Flanders boys, these committee chairmen who are yes men stooges. They are the ones who are going to ensure what lives or dies. And they're not doing it based on you. They're doing it based on whatever their donor lobbyist crowd want. As a matter of fact, one of the things, uh, our group, which is totally nonpartisan, by the way, um, our group is aware of the idea that as soon as we concentrate power in a few people in the legislature, um, we automatically make them become targets for lobbyists because now they have power worth buying. And our solution to that is actually to change the rules so that there is no one in the legislature who has that power. Uh, And the reason this system is still going on is because most people in the state of Indiana have no idea how the legislative process works. So they they can pull this off. What our group is going to do is assemble a group of groups who have all decided that, look, debate and voting is good for everybody on whichever side of the issue you're on. And so we need to have rules that make it so that debate can't be escaped and that vote can't be escaped. Uh, Dr. Dan Stock is our guest. He's part of the Citizens Coalition for Legislative Accountability. And we've seen this lack of response from governments at all levels. I know you were, as a, as a medical doctor, you were very involved in trying to speak at school board meetings, talking about the dangers of masking, the harm that it was for kids. And you saw, as many of us have seen, kind of just the utter disregard, in that case it was parents, but taxpayers at a collective at these city and town council meetings. It's bad government, irresponsible government, government that ignores the people across the board. Well, as a matter of fact, I think one of the best examples of that was in the 2021 legislature, when there was an attempt made to restrict the governor's emergency powers so he couldn't just rule by fiat. And there were two bills filed, um, 1121 and 1123. 1121 had no uh, constitutional controversy with it. Basically said after two weeks of emergency, you have to call a special session or the emergency's over. Um, And that one never got a hearing. And instead, what came out was 1123, a bill that said, well, we're not going to make him call the entire legislature. And we're just going to, in a constitutionally questionable form, give the Speaker of the House and the President pro tem the ability to call a special session. When that was then overruled by the courts as being unconstitutional, nobody came back to propose the alternative because they'd already put on the show Uh that looked like they had tried to restrict the governor's power. It's so funny you said that because I said there's no way Rod Bray is an attorney and there's no way he would stay in business as an attorney if he wrote crappy pieces of legal 
doctrine the same way he wrote a very crappy law because that law was designed to fail. They wanted it to fail because they want Holcomb to have the emergency power authority, the governor to have it, and they wanted to go back to their constituents and go, well, we tried, but those evil judges in the courts, they just took our power away from us. You're absolutely 100% right. And they haven't done boo since. You know, it's it's interesting because um, earlier this year, myself and two of my colleagues actually met with one of the legislators. I'm not going to name him um, until we have a chance to discuss with him, but he actually allowed us to record his conversation and on that recording um, admitted that he was killing a bill um, because he had been told by leadership to do so because they were going to use it on a different vehicle that would make it, even though I pointed out the other vehicle you're putting it in, puts it on constitutionally questionable grounds. And I asked him why I should, this should be put at risk of this. And he said, well, because the leadership told me to. So, and I want people to understand that when I, when I speak about this legislature, um, we have to understand the position he's in because of the concentrated power. Right. He even says, I serve at the pleasure of the Speaker of the House and the President pro tem. And so he understands the guns at his head as well. Um, this isn't an attempt for us to go bash legislators. Oh, they should. You should. Yeah, should. Be, yeah, we should. Like, our favorite hobbies. You know, I tell you, my favorite phrase, though, is somebody says, you know, it sounds like you're taking no prisoners of legislatures. And I say, no, no, that's not true. We are hoping to take legislators prisoner, <laughs> reform them, and release them back into the legislature in their reformed view. So um, this is this is something that, that really gets on my nerves, as, as many things do. So I, I don't like the idea that we start saying, oh, you're, you're, you know, people are being too mean to legislature. If you step up into civil service, uh, you are putting... Putting yourself up to the full, honest criticism of the uh, public to which you serve. And when I see certain senators, and you're not going to name names, I will, Kyle Walker, who I sat down and had breakfast with, and and I, I had a lot of questions for the senators, and I showed him a lot of data, and I also talked to him about certain things in Indiana education that were problematic. And then he went back to the state house and he started neutering bills, even though at breakfast he told me, yeah, I agree with you, this is bad, when you do something about it, yes, we should do these measures. And then goes and like kind of waters things down and goes the other way, voted against the constitutional carry bill, among other things. And and so this is why I'm passionate about at least exposing some of the lobbying efforts, because when I talk to senators and when I talk to representatives and they tell me one thing and then they go vote another way, something is wrong, something there are some shenanigans afoot. Right. And, and this is something that at least Americans should have the right to see what's going on. I hate it when I go into the state house and meet more lobbyists than people. In fact, um, I want people to know that we are going to name names eventually. Um, what we're trying to do is to convince the legislators that it is in their best interest to side with us over lobbyists and change these rules that by diffusing out that power, no, long, no longer is anybody a target. Um, however, if these people can't rise to be what the moment requires, and you're quite right, um, look, uh, we have to change the job description for our legislators. And they may resist this change, but our hope is to get them convinced that this change is in their best interest. But if we can't, then the other alternative is that they have to be replaced. So the, just to jump in here, this change is possible. This isn't just throwing darts at a, at a dartboard that, you know, there's a wall between. The one credit I will give Nikki Haley is that back when she made her run to state legislature, the reason she ran for governor is because South Carolina had, they allowed voice votes for everything, so no one ever knew how the representatives voted, ever. She was like, no, you need to be on the record whenever you vote for something so you're held accountable. And that was the first thing she pushed for and got when she was made governor of South Carolina. So, and 
and you know, despite all the junk that she's done since then, that's a good thing. These changes can happen. We can reform some aspects of the system. This is not a hopeless battle. As a matter of fact, it's probably the weakest link in the lobbyists' armor. Uh, the rules of the chamber can be changed at any time by a simple majority vote. It doesn't require a majority of Republicans or Democrats. Um, if one guy proposes the rules changes, anybody who doesn't second it will know that they didn't second it. Um, and in fact, it's interesting. One of the changes we want to make in the rules of the uh, chambers right now is if somebody makes a procedural objection to proceeding on debate on a particular amendment or a particular bill, uh, that that uh, objection must immediately be decided by roll call vote by either the committee or the entire chamber, depending on the circumstance, so that if they're going to kill a bill's debate and uh, voting, we have to have them on record. They voted to kill it. We got about a minute and a half left. Uh, I want people to know, one, how they can get a hold of you, because I think this group is very important, and two, what you hope to accomplish by getting more people involved. Well, once we have the population educated as to how their legislators are escaping the debate and the vote that would represent them, that's our major thing right now is to get them educated. Then they can accept the reform changes we're trying to make. Our website will hopefully be up soon. It's uh, fixmylegislature.com. Right now, we can be reached, uh, reached at citizenscoalition at proton.ma. Okay, you want to give that again? Sure. That's a long one. So People get their pens out. Citizens Coalition, with no punctuation, at proton.ma. L-A, uh, M-A, excuse me. And our website will be fixmylegislature.com. I, uh, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's great. The The system is totally broken. It's the and, and it's the actual system itself, right? When people say the system is broken, this is the actual example of the system being broken because good legislation often never sees the light of day because of the rules and the way they these higher-up guys can protect things from even being voted on. Dr. Dan Stock, you're awesome. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me down. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Jim Merritt will join us. We'll talk all about uh, Jefferson Shreve's gun proposal. We'll talk about the plan with this Brad Chambers guy screwing over Suzanne Crouch. We'll get into that more. It's Kendall Casey Show, 93 WIBC. Casey's out today, and oh, look who it is. He's been 30 years in the Indiana Senate. He was also the 2019 Republican candidate for mayor in the city of Indianapolis. Our good friend Jim Merritt. How are you, my friend? I'm well, but I miss Casey. Uh, me too. It's a lot of work. <laughs> Just a lot of work. Uh, and you know how I loathe work, Jim. <laughs> You're workaholic. Why, what are you talking about? That show is a career in radio. Mm. Uh, okay, so I want to get to Jefferson Shreve in just a moment. But first, the big news that came out earlier this week is that Brad Chambers, you know Brad Chambers? Yes, I do. Uh, he is the, or was, the Economic Development Corporation Director. And did it very, very well. So his job, for those of you who don't know, is his job is to take uh, our tax money and uh, take that tax money and prioritize Holcomb's pet projects for his special friends. And that can include strong, strong-arming farmers out of their farmland and a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> he is uh, he is a mercenary for, gover- for Governor Eric Holcomb. Did and, I say that I'm up supposed correctly? to be the yang here? Do you... you- <laughs> 
his charge was to grow oh. the tax base, the uh-huh. economic development of the state of Indiana. Does that make any sense, though, to say we're going to take money from poor and middle class people and we're going to give it to mega corporations because we're going to grow our taxes? Well, if you just didn't take the tax money to begin with, we wouldn't need to grow the tax base. Well, it, the, this the, sounds the, like a giveaway, Jim. <laughs> it's always fun being with you. The nice, the nice way about it is saying that we need to grow the tax base to make Indiana a better place to oh, live. Oh, you're, you're always so positive. It's gross. <laughs> um, okay, so he's resigning. Yes. And he's the, big, gone. the big news is that, a rumor is, I should say, he's going to run for governor of the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I was told yesterday by a very reliable birdie who I've used on multiple occasions to be exactly right about information in the state house that Holcomb Hupfer Incorporated, so that's the governor, and Kyle Hupfer, the state party chair, and the rest of their little Oompa Loompa slash Goon Squad, uh, who I've dubbed Holcomb Hup for Incorporated, are going to put their full weight behind Brad Chambers. And I'm looking at this going, that wouldn't be a big surprise if it weren't for the fact that his Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch is running for governor. If indeed this does happen, what a giant middle finger to her. Absolutely. And, and you know, the whole issue here is... Uh, we 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 had heard that the governor was going to endorse, and everybody kind of assumed it was going to be the lieutenant governor, uh, Suzanne Crouch. And when there was a delay there, that kind of brought all the questions to the fore as to if he was going to run for the U.S. Senate or or if it, was he going to return to private life. And, and now, with Brad looking at becoming a candidate for governor, and, and we know that uh, probably the crowning jewel of, of Eric Holcomb's time in office is economic development and, and making Indiana all the more known around the world. And and uh, it, it could be true. Uh, it, it, it is a, a, a kind of a slam at Suzanne, uh, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, let, me let me ask you this. How, like, okay, if you're Suzanne Crouch. Yes. And we have, of course, dubbed her Silent Suzanne right. on this show because mm-hmm. she's been very quiet as the governor has raised taxes like they're going out of style. He's uh, uh, shut the state down, tried to put you in jail for not wearing a mask, the Malik Muhammad meet and greet, uh, calling uh, law-abiding citizens human petri dishes and rioters noble people. I mean, all the stuff. She has, to her credit, been totally silent during all of that. She's given him millions of dollars. And your reward for that is, hey, I'm going to endorse this guy over here. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but, but let's look at it another way. Suzanne Crouch can now be, if this happens, Suzanne Crouch can be Suzanne Crouch. She can tell everybody exactly how she feels, how she differentiates from the uh, administration, the Hook <clears throat> the Hook administration, and it's an opportunity to let us know exactly who she is. So it just. Oh, I know. I know who she is. Trust me. It, I mean, the, 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 come on. That's oh, she's your friend. No. You've, she's, you've had her on the way. Oh, we, we had her on to talk farming one time in a <laughs> land far away. Yeah. Um, but it's her opportunity uh, to... Uh, reinvigorate a campaign that's really just gathered Republican support um, and not stepped on up, stepped up on the big issues that confront the state of Indiana. And it also makes our job more fun how okay so let, let let's let's play this out here okay. because you've won many a race mm-hmm. you spent 30 years in Eight. the indiana mm-hmm. senate and uh how would you with the straight face 
How does Suzanne Crouch now, after seven years of unwavering silence and support for Holcomb, come out and go, ha, 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 just kidding, guys. I really wasn't for the the never-ending tax increases or the Malik Muhammad meet and greet or the, the mask mandates or the, the business shutdowns. I wasn't really for any of that. I was, I was, I'm an innocent victim here. Like, how, how do you do that? Well, well, first of all, outside of the Republican Party, because uh, she has done her job, she's she's been outstanding with mental health issues, uh, but that not everybody knows her. It's an opportunity to introduce herself as to what she believes. And um, if people don't believe it because she was quiet for, for eight years, so be it. But she has met so many people in all 92 counties and and uh, and people know who she is and and you know let's look at it another way uh, there there are there are a lot of detractors out there from the Holcomb administration from their handling of one thing or another during the eight years and it gives her a chance to separate herself from that uh, Rob Kendall Jim Merritt we're talking about the uh, governor's race real quick and then I want to get to Jefferson Shreve Um I am excited about this because now this was a total snooze fest two weeks ago, and now we got Curtis Hill in the race, and if this Chambers guy gets in, the brawling amongst the establishment between Suzanne and this guy will be great. And now I'm trying to do math here very quickly in my head. I believe that puts six people into this race, which means there's a world where 20% wins you the Republican primary for governor, potentially, and that tells me Curtis Hill might actually have a chance. Oh, absolutely. And let's not forget our friend Micah Beckwith. Yeah. Running for lieutenant governor. Yes. There's going to be so much to talk about in the next 18, well, really the next year or so till next May. May. And uh, what, what, I mean, there's a world, if you can believe this, Jim, there is a world if it is a Curtis Hill, Micah Beckwith ticket where I might actually have to vote for Republican. (laughs) Because what an agitator ticket. Boy, that'd be great. It's it's a benefit for those of us that can look and and analyze and, and, and talk about the issues. It, it, It was boring. And and now, uh, I believe Brad Chambers will run for governor. Oh, great! I, yes, please do. Yeah, uh, we're yeah I hope that. he does. And um, and and we'll be able to pose questions to everybody. And it, it just—you're right. Twenty percent wins it, and so it um, maybe it doesn't become such a big deal about money. Yeah, yeah. You're, it, you're, it becomes you're... maybe a shoe leather campaign, and uh, these candidates are really going to have to earn it. Maybe my endorsement could make all the difference. It Jim. could. I haven't endorsed, but it might but not. I, I might be willing to endorse if I thought it'd make a difference. If I thought I could do anything to make Holcomb angry, I would do it. So I will be watching just with a laser focus on this now. Well, a uh, year and a half from now, he'll be a private citizen. Oh, uh, boy, I'm sure he'll be scheming and scamming uh, somehow. <laughs> I, trust me, that guy will avoid working a real job like the plague. Uh, okay, real quick, I did want to talk to you about Jefferson Shreve. I saw your beautiful face in the Indy Star uh, mm-hmm. the other day. You mm-hmm. were quoted on the story about Jefferson Shreve, Republican candidate for mayor, and his plan on guns that have a lot of people uh, who listen to this radio station really upset. Um, Okay, so can he, because he's got an op-ed in Indy Star today that came out, I know you haven't had a chance to read it yet, but where he doubles down on it. He's not backing out, he's not trying to spin, he's not trying to say, well, what I really meant was, he's all in on this idea of trying to get Indianapolis exempted from the permitless carry, Uh, he's trying to get the age raised to 21 to be able to purchase a firearm, he's trying to ban assault weapons, whatever the heck that means, because every weapon is an assault weapon. Uh, He's not backing down. How 
how does this play out well for him if he can't win our audience? I mean, it doesn't matter what else he picks up if a bunch of people leave. When Barb Peterson ran for mayor initially, uh, he had what was called the Peterson Plan. And that's a, that's all anybody remembers. Not everything in that plan passed the city council or uh, was was people at the state house agreed with some of the things that he wanted to do. And so now, uh, now Jefferson has to work hard, number one, to get uh, the positive pieces of the plan through uh, to the public, to the voting public. And, you know, Robert, he doesn't have a whole lot of time. The election really is over at the end of September because we start voting yeah, right. sometime in October with early voting, and the Republican Party has has to uh, embrace early voting uh, this year and for years to come. And so it's controversial. Those three issues have everybody up in arms. And it's up to it's up to really Jefferson Shreve to bring it home on what he can convince people um, on the other great parts of this plan that uh, that need to be exposed. So he's going to be here Wednesday. That's good. And Jim, we've done uh, hundreds of radio shows together. I think I can say this. And we have done hundreds of radio shows. And you will agree with me on this. I'm going to say it, and we'll see if you agree with me on this. As a commentator, which is 90% of my job, I am indeed a complete villain a-hole. I will totally own that, and people love me for that and hate me for that. However, as an interviewer, I feel like I am a much different person and am really good at getting information out of people. I would agree with that, and but but also it's good radio when you and I disagree. Yeah, and so I'm going to interview. We're going to interview him, mm-hmm. and it's going to be Rob Kendall, the interviewer, not Rob Kendall, the commentator, and we're going to give him his chance to to sell the plan, right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how you're going to sell that portion of the plan. But I want him to win mm-hmm. because the city cannot afford four more years of Joe Hogsett. So we're going to do our usual great job interviewing, and we're going to ask him tough questions, and we're going to let him say his piece. And hopefully we come out of there with this ability to win people back that he's lost because he's got to win. Well, I know you can have an honest-to-goodness interview with him. I, but in that interview, and and I'm going to ask him on Merit in the Morning, oh. what what happened in what happened in May 2020 and what you would do differently in the future where was the mayor where would have you been and and how leadership uh, could have saved our city that night and and I think it's very important that we understand what the lessons learned uh, from that riot that you were in the middle of yeah, Robert I was here I, yeah. I fled the city moments before the riot me and my now wife she was my girlfriend then we were we were were literally getting out of town as the angry mob was congregating. And it didn't uh, have to happen. No, of course not. No. No, 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 of course not. Um, can you do me a favor? Can you just send me your list of questions and I'll just steal them and use them as my own? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, where can people find you? What are you doing these days? Merritt in the morning at Jim Underline Merritt and uh, Jim Merritt's Indiana. And I'm all always commenting on the, our friends at the Indiana Capital Chronicle and uh, enjoying the life of... Um, I still do that. Tell me, and we'll go with this. Is this weird? So, like, I know you very well, obviously. Yes. We are good friends. Yes. But still, when I see you in the newspaper, uh-huh. I will feel like I am seeing a celebrity because I'm like, oh, I know him. <laughs> it's like, he's on with me every week. You As moron. they say, it's just Jim. Jim Merritt, you're a national treasure. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. And that is going to do it for us today. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Tony Kennett. Phenomenal job filling in. Stick around. Tony Katz is coming up next. I'm Rob. You're listening to the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC.